from Psalm chapter 13. So Psalm chapter 13, this is from the NIV version, um, and it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Well, good morning. Uh, It's a wonderful privilege for me to be here today and to share God's word with you. Uh, If you don't have your Bible uh, open, there are a few Bibles, and page 530 is where you'll find that psalm. All right, well, let me pray as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for who you are, uh, for the, the great things that you do in our lives, and for the privilege it is to be here today. And Lord, we pray that as uh, we share in a time of reading and understanding your word together, that you would speak to us, that you'd make your message clear, and that you would equip us better to live uh, for you in this broken world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, grief comes in all different shapes and sizes, doesn't it? For many at this time, grief is dealing with the loss of livelihood because of drought, fire or flood or the emotion that's brought back from times when we dealt with that in the past. Grief happens because of the loss of a beloved family member, friend or community member. Grief occurs in the face of severe sickness in yourself or in others. Financial insecurity, broken relationships, the list goes on, doesn't it? And even if we haven't dealt with a big moment of grief of our own, We've experienced secondhand grief walking beside others who are grieving. The reality is that it's highly improbable that anyone would enter this world and leave without having experienced grief. In fact, if you know someone who hasn't experienced grief, I'd love to meet them. So even our Lord, our Jesus Christ, the perfect man, experienced grief while he was here on the earth. The grief of betrayal. Grief that comes with the knowledge of what his followers would experience when he's left. Grief that comes with rejection, humiliation. Grief so evidently displayed in the gospel accounts as he was hung on the cross to bear the sin and the punishment that we deserved. My most vivid memory of grief was my grandmother's funeral. Sorry, my uncle's funeral, not my grandmother. He was just over 50 and he died of a heart attack. He was found sitting in his chair the morning after by a friend who was wondering where he was and why he hadn't walked his dogs. I remember being at his funeral and I remember seeing my grandmother there. Uh, She'd outlived her husband, a war veteran, uh, and now she was sitting at the funeral of her own son. Life wasn't meant to happen this way. So the grief of that situation broke her and she was never the same again. From that moment, her mind was slowly lost to dementia. Today, as we look at Psalm 13, 
Uh, We're going to see that in times of deep grief, times such as these, we're invited to pour our emotion out to God, we're invited to ask God to intervene, and we're invited to rest in God's future redemption. Well, you notice the first thing you see when you read many of the Psalms uh, is the individual heading, and that's here in our Psalm today. Uh, In Hebrew manuscripts, these are the first verse. Uh, And while in some cases they're hard to understand, in Psalm 13, I think it's clearly interpreted. It says, uh, for the director of music, a psalm of David. Well, this tells us that it's a psalm written by David and that it was given to the choir director for use with the wider congregation of Israel. Uh, What's interesting about this psalm is, though it was given for a wider use and use in the congregation, it's an individual prayer. The psalm alongside the heading shows us, firstly, that prayers like this are meant to be used by individuals who want to lament their current circumstances before God. And secondly, that prayers like this are meant to be used when walking alongside those who are suffering. It's not clear what prompted David to write the psalm, yet whatever the circumstance is, it's clear that this psalm was written while David was experiencing deep grief, and he passed it on to the choir director for use with the community. By sharing this psalm, David shows us a faithful response to grief. This psalm and others like it give us a model of how to faithfully pray for ourselves and for others in situations of deep grief. So in times of deep grief, we're invited to pour out our emotion before God. So verse 1 and 2, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? When David writes this psalm, he's in a place where he feels like God has forgotten him. He's conflicted in his most innermost being and his enemy is being lifted up and exalted higher than him. Notice the repeating of the phrase, how long? David shows us that this is not a small one-off problem. His problem is enduring. And it's clear that David is absolutely devastated by whatever's happening and he's in a situation of deep grief. So the big theological question we, we have as we read these verses is, is it okay to question God in the face of tragedy? Are we allowed to talk to God like this? Spurgeon, the great preacher, Augustine, a church father, among many others, present and past, say that David is being self-indulgent and he's sinning by questioning God. And I wonder as we consider these words, do we really believe them sinful? Are we are emotional beings, all of us, who when devastated by the tragedies of life need godly avenues to express our sorrow. Too often we hear things like, don't worry, everything will be okay. Or, at least we've got heaven to look forward to. Just pray, everything will be alright. And while these things aren't necessarily wrong, if they're offered as comfort in times of deep grief, well, we fail to allow ourselves and others the ability to grieve and to address our emotions before God, labelling the feelings that arise in those moments as invalid. See, what David shows us in these few verses and what we see in Other psalms that are similar is that when we face deep grief, it's 
when we face deep grief, the emotion that stems from these moments of grief, we shouldn't dismiss those emotions. We should channel them towards God. David knows God is there. He knows God is listening. Otherwise, he wouldn't be praying. He wouldn't be offering these words to God. He's asking God, why does it feel like you're absent in this situation? Why why does it feel like you're not acting now? Why doesn't my reality match the promises you've given me in your word? See the trust David's showing in God? The acknowledgement that God is sovereign over his situation? See, if David wasn't trusting God, he wouldn't be dialoguing with him through his pain. He would be trying to solve the problem all by himself. We've all been there, haven't we? Trying to aimlessly solve a problem or being overwhelmed with grief, punching a wall, as I have many times, or snapping at someone in our grief. So this psalm shows us, rather than eliciting what would be a sinful response, God wants us to channel the emotions of life to him. And the reality is that some of us in this room maybe feel this prayer This step of prayer is unnecessary, and it may well be for you. Your life experiences and your knowledge of God help you quickly move through those stages of grief. However, a problem occurs when we project that onto others, and we expect them to move quickly from their grief without allowing them time to lament God to God. David shows us here that it's space and a time for lament, that it's okay in times of deep grief, to feel like God's absent. The important thing is that rather than bottling up our emotion until it overflows in other ways like sin, that we hand it over to God. In in the Psalms, there are other Psalms, such as Psalm 88, which never move to praise. The whole Psalm sits in lament. There are others that move quickly through lament. There are others that show no lament at all. So there's no time frame or formula for lament. Everyone's circumstances and how they deal with grief are different. Some people will deal with grief and need to lament a long time. Others a short time. Others maybe not even at all. The important thing is when we're feeling emotion or we know that others are out of grief, that we spend the appropriate time in lamenting or helping others lament before God entrusting our emotion to him in times of grief. Before Steph and I had kids, uh, we struggled with the prospect that it may not be possible. Uh, We were receiving medical treatment and help, um, but we we really weren't sure that we could have kids. Uh, We we were sharing about this with some of our Christian friends and uh, Christian leaders at the time, and their response was that we should just pray, and that if we trusted in our prayers and their prayers for us, then Uh, we'd be able to have kids. See, our friends at the time failed to allow us the time to grieve. They told us we weren't trusting God and that they assumed we weren't even praying. See, the truth is we were praying, we were trusting in God. And what our friends wanted us to do was to stop wrestling with God and to just be able to praise him. What this psalm shows us, particularly these verses, is that it's okay to wrestle with God when you're grieving. In fact, don't let anyone tell you it's not okay. So this scripture asks us to allow ourselves and others in our congregation time to grieve, to sit and lament, to make time to process the hurt before God. 
the verses 1 and 2 show us in times of deep grief, we're invited to pour out our emotion before God. Well, after first showing us that it's okay to lay our emotions before God in verses 1 and 2, David shows us that in times of deep grief, God invites us to ask him to intervene. So after lamenting and laying the struggle of his emotion before God, David moves to ask God for help. He says in verse 3 and 4, Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give a light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. So you notice here the extent of David's problem is elaborated on. David is near death. His enemies are on the verge of rejoicing, overcoming him. So the problem faced is not only then impacting on David, the problem if not resolved will impact on people's perception of who God is. And in direct contrast to that feeling that God is not hearing and being active, David now asks God to show up and take control. He shows that his confidence for the reversal of his condition is in God and God alone. David, on the verge of death and an irreversible loss of status and significance, asks that God might restore him so that God's honour is maintained against those who are rejoicing in his suffering. I wonder if this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, for David, the current circumstance, in his current circumstance, death, or even to walk away from everything that he believes and knows true, might have been an easy option. Yet he knows that his life and the way he conducts himself in the midst of trial bears witness to those around him. And in giving this psalm to the choir director, he knows that the way Israel as a nation conducts itself before its people in corporate worship is important. Now I think of maybe the best application of this psalm is thinking through who might have prayed it and then thinking through an exile. Uh, Someone like Daniel, who we read about in the Bible, for instance. Just imagine being carted off to another nation, seeing your home, your place of worship destroyed, uh, terrible acts happening in the temple, false gods worshipped all through the temple, our family and friends murdered, raped, even tortured in front of you. Yet their response as faithful Israelites would have been to pray this prayer before God, lamenting all that they had seen and faithfully asking God to reverse their conditions. Not so their problem would disappear, but so God's honour would be restored. See, it's only because they would have poured out their emotion to God would they have been able to pray then to God asking for a reversal of their situation. Do you trust God enough to ask him for the reversal of your misfortunes? And are the things you're praying for, the things if God answered, uh, would bring glory to him? See, it's the prayer of a missionary who's given up everything to work in another country, whose funds are running out. It's the prayer of the person whose witness to their family is compromised if God doesn't answer him or them. It's the prayer of a church who faithfully preaches the gospel week after week but have little financial resource. It's a prayer for healing when no medical treatment can be offered. See, are we, like David, in our grief, confidently praying that God will reverse our situation and bring glory to himself? So there's a time and place for this type of prayer, isn't there? 
And we all, we're all wise enough, I think, to know that God may not answer in the way that we hope or anticipate. See, the primary concern for David as he prays his prayers, not for himself, but that God's name might not be dishonoured. And thus we pray in hopeful expectation of deliverance for ourselves and for others. By praying, we can be confident that God will act on our behalf, even if he doesn't answer it in the ways that we expect. See, in times of deep grief, we're invited to ask God to intervene. Well, so far we've seen in times of deep grief, we're invited to offer our emotion to God, and we're invited to ask him to intervene. But I think neither of these things offer us a great assurance. So David goes on to show us that in times of deep grief, we're invited to rest in God's future deliverance. Verses 5 and 6. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. See, as David continues to pray, he states first uh, action of the past but I trust in your unfailing love. And then, secondly, his expectation for the future. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. David explains that just as he trusted God in the past, he trusts that God will turn his situation around in the future. And then once again, he'll be lifted from this time of lament to a time of praise. Our verse 6 echoes this contrast. He will once again sing to God because God will have been good to him. Now, this is lost a bit in translation uh, for those who understand English tenses, the line is future perfect, meaning it literally translates something like, because he will have been good to me in the future. David looks expectantly to the future, to a time where he will be able to look back on this situation and praise God again for delivering him from the current circumstance. And even though David's expectation is for deliverance from his grief, he knows that even if this situation isn't reversed, his perspective will have changed as he looks back. And he'll be once again able to praise God. How often have you just let out the emotion of a situation and then soon after it's resolved or you just feel a little bit better? I remember the death of both of my grandparents when we were living up north, hiding in my closet, and asking God why, or getting the phone call when we were away that mum had been diagnosed with MS. I cried and I wrestled with God, and then again I was able to praise him soon after. See, David's hope and trust is that it will be a reversal of his situation, yet he knows that the removal of his problem isn't always a reality. And we know that too, don't we? See, many a prayer for healing or rain has gone unanswered in the way that we've wanted. And as I think about this, I've noticed that every aspect of our faith is caught in this tension of now, not yet. I was saved now, but we're not yet free from the temporal effects of sin. We have inherited eternal life now, but we don't sit in heaven yet. We have inherited righteousness, but we're not yet fully redeemed. We all still sin. And this is David's reality as he prays. He prays for deliverance, and while he trusts God that he may receive it, this principle of now, not yet, remains there. And it means regardless of whether he's successful in his appeal to God, uh, in asking for reversal now, that ultimately his prayer will be fulfilled in the completion of God's story, 
And it's the same for us. Now, often we get discouraged when our prayers are not answered, when the darkness of our situation doesn't lift. We've all prayed for healing, for restoration, things that are temporal in nature, and God hasn't answered in the way that we've expected. We must not forget in these moments that God has still heard our prayer. He's still sovereign and he's still got control of the future. We pray with confidence because God is who he is. When he answers, it's for his glory. And when he doesn't answer in the way that we would like, he's still listening and working everything for his glory. So the knowledge of the future, all we have written for us in the Bible and the assurances we're given through the gospel accounts of Christ should help us get to a place of rest from our grief. Now, after first entrusting God with our emotion, then praying for deliverance, we can rest knowing that God's deliverance is real and it's assured in Christ. See, our greatest problem, the thing we must surely grieve the most is our sin. And God dealt with that on the cross. That assurance forms the basis for which we can pray and rest in God's future deliverance. So if our sin is dealt with, then not only is our, our sin dealt with, but the grief we endure is dealt with, the grief we've caused other people because of our sin is dealt with. So we know that God's work is not limited to the future. He's ever-present in our lives, isn't he? And so we trust and can rest in the fact that from our future salvation, God assures us of his ever-present work in our lives. I look, for instance, uh, at John 16 and 17. Before his arrest, Jesus prays for his disciples, asking that even though they'll endure great trials and times of grief, that they'll be able to rest in and trust God's future grace. John 16, 31 to 33 says, Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, in fact, a time has come when you will be scattered each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. So because Jesus has overcome the world, we can rest in his assurance that everything we face, we can endure. And that because he overcame the world, we can eventually make peace with it. In times of deep grief, we're invited to rest in God's future deliverance. Well, today we've looked at Psalm 13 and we've seen a model for prayer in the face of deep grief. In times of deep grief, we're invited to pour our emotion before God. We're invited to ask God to intervene and we're invited to rest in his future redemption. In my final year of Bible college in Sydney, Steph and I endured many challenges. Steph nearly died with post-birth complications. She was in ICU for about a week after our second birth. Then she suffered from postnatal depression. Now, Son needed an operation on his tongue we couldn't afford. I was struggling um, with undiagnosed neurological conditions. Uh, Our church in Sydney, which Steph and I had both worked at and I was still working at, had been without a minister for one and a half years. The congregation was quite jaded. 
My mum was struggling with her MS. My dad was having medical complications. And it wasn't until I was encouraged to lament uh, and prayed honestly with God about how I felt that I was able to move to praise. See, like I was able to lament, David in Psalm 13 shows us that when we're going through the struggles of life, we don't need to hold it all together. We can cry out to God with the full emotion of what we're dealing with and ask him why it's happening, how long it will endure. We can question God about our circumstances. Now, after I'd lamented my emotion uh, about our circumstances to God, I felt at peace. And though not everything changed, my perspective changed, and then in my spirit, I was able to praise God again. Friends, I invite you today to take your deepest struggle, maybe the deepest struggle of a friend, and lay it before God in lament. Ask him why. Ask him how long it will endure. Maybe it's a broken relationship, the grief of losing a loved one, the disappointment of poor medical news, loss of employment, whatever it is. I invite you today to lay it before God in lament and trust that he will bring about a future deliverance of that problem. So using Psalm 13, I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and I'm going to pray a prayer of lament about our current circumstances as a whole, particularly the bushfires and the drought. Now then we'll pause for a few minutes, and I'll allow you some time to bring your own lament before God. And then I'll close for us in prayer. If you can't think of something for yourself, or someone close to you who needs lament for, I encourage you to continue in lament for the state of the gospel in our nation or continue lamenting the current natural disasters as I will. So let's pray together. How long, O Lord, will you forget our farmers? How long will you withhold rain and allow parts of our nation to burn? How long shall people stew on their own thoughts, forgetting that you are king? Forgetting that forever there will be fire and drought. How how long will people fail to acknowledge you in this season of darkness? Consider and hear us, O Lord our God. Bring healing and rain. Lest there be more destruction, more loss of livelihood, more loss of life. Lest those who oppose you say, there is no God. If there was, where is he now? Lest those who deny you rejoice when Christians fail to speak up. But Lord, we have trusted in your mercy. And we will continue to in the future. Our hearts shall rejoice in your salvation. The day it rains, the day people repent, and the day your son returns and you bring about a new creation. We will once again sing to you, Lord, because you will once again prove your goodness to us and to those who rely on your intervention.
Our Heavenly Father, we uh, acknowledge before you today that we live in a broken world, uh, that, Lord, we all experience grief at some stage. And, God, I thank you for the model that we're given uh, by David today uh, in which we can take up and bring our struggles before you in a way that is honouring and in a way that brings you glory. And Father, I pray for those uh, among us today who are sitting in that space right now, our Lord, sitting in a space of deep grief. Our Lord, uh, our words can't explain how they're feeling. Um, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk alongside them well um, and give them space to grieve at this time. Um, Lord, and I pray that they would continue to lift up their voice to you um, even though it feels like you're absent, or trusting that you are there, or that you are sovereign and that you will bring about our future deliverance from their problem. I thank you, God, that we know because of your scriptures uh, that there is a future deliverance, uh, that you are with us every day, uh, and that you are trustworthy, God. And we pray that no matter what we're dealing with, and that you'd always help us to put our trust in you and not the things of this world. I pray this in the mighty and the saving name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.